Have you ever gotten a job you did not want to do? Or interview for a position that you did not want? Have you ever been given a task that you did not want to complete? If so, you might identify with the person of our story for today. I was in school, went to school for a long time. And when I was getting ready to complete my studies, I was looking forward to getting my first real job. And I remember that um, uh, I was studying in Michigan at the time, completing my, my degree. And before my school was over, a few months before my school was over, I had the opportunity to fly back and go see my employers. The wonderful people that had sent me to study in the Midwest and to thank them for the opportunity and to ask for what my next challenge would be. <clears throat> and I made an appointment to visit my superiors and went into the office to ask them, where am I going? Here I am. Send me. Where would you have me to go? By this time, some of my colleagues uh, were already getting their assignments. Some of them already knew. They said, oh, when we're done here in a few months, this is where I'm going, this is where I'm going. I had one particular friend who had been given a job um, right here in La Mesa. And I thought, oh, I wonder where I'm going to go. I was excited. And so I decided I better ask, and I made an appointment to see my president and to ask, I'm ready, I'm done, I'm ready to go. I've worked hard, been to school for a long time, and I'm ready to go. <clears throat> so there I am, I'm at the office, and I'm trying to, trying to go in to see him, and he's busy. So uh, I, they put me with someone else, and I asked, well, I, um, where am I going? I'm completing my master's. I'm ready to go to work. I feel like I've been called. I've been chosen. God has set me aside. I'm ready. Send me. And they're like, oh, we, uh, we want to make sure the president tells you. Okay, and then the president is walking from one office to another, and he just happens to be passing by down this long hallway. And they're like, oh, Mr. President, Mr. President, please tell this man where he's going. And he looks at me, and he says, needles, and then he keeps walking. Does anybody know where needles is? Has anybody been to needles? <clears throat> it's just like San Diego. <laughs> now, I grew up here. I grew up in National City, and I, uh, uh, even though National City is, you know, National City, uh, I grew up in San Diego where there's palm trees and this wonderful weather and these beautiful things that we are blessed. And somehow in, the, in my mind's eye, I had been convinced that when I had gone all over to get my studies, that God would plant me firmly back in the city that I love, where I could continue to be a Padre fan and a Charger fan. But the president is walking by and he says, needles, and he keeps walking. And then suddenly my heart sank. I, I never been to Needles. But I knew something about it. And I didn't want to go. Would you? Have you ever been given a job you don't want to do? Given a task that you do not want to complete? Have you ever been trained and, 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 and get, gotten ready and interviewed for a position that you did not want? president said, I'm just kidding. You're going to Victorville. And I said, oh. Whew. And then I said, Victorville? <laughs> but 
The story for today talks about a prophet named Jonah. It's found in the book of Jonah. It's in the Bibles uh, in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament. I want you to open up your Bible or your smartphone or whatever you've got, whatever device that you've got. And if you don't have one, there's a Bible right in the pew in front of you. uh, And you can open up to the book of Jonah. It's near the end of the Old Testament where the these smaller books called the Minor Prophets are. So if you crack the Bible in the middle, you'll be somewhere in Psalms and then just keep flipping. You go through some of the big prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and eventually you end up with smaller prophets like Daniel, Hosea, uh, um, Amos. Then you'll hit Obadiah, and then you'll find Jonah. It's only a few chapters long, so if you went to Zechariah, you've gone too far. Back up a little, and you'll find Jonah. And this is a story, and the name will sound familiar to you, uh, because we live uh, near the ocean, so the name of Jonah is popular near the ocean because Jonah had something to do with the ocean. And I'm going to read the story with you, but I would love for you to follow along with me. It's found in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and it said this. Go, get up, and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't tell us too much at the very beginning, but as we read and understand the rest of the story, we learn a couple of things about Jonah. God speaks or God spoke to Jonah. Has the God ever spoken to you? Has the word of God ever come to you and told you stuff? Told you to go places and to do things? Well, see, Jonah was a prophet. That means that was his job. We know this because we read the rest of the book and we know that Jonah more than likely had been trained and deployed before. More than likely, Jonah had heard the word of God come to him and given him jobs to do. I don't know. I imagine in my mind's eye that he went to school in the Midwest somewhere. (laughs) And then he said, God sent me where I'm supposed to go. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I have a job for you, Jonah. I have a job for you. I want you to get up. And in the version that you read in the pew and in yours, it might say the words arise, which I really kind of like. Because it softens the blow. It's kind of like saying needles. And you're like, God says to Jonah, arise. Actually, he says, get up. On your feet. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And in just a few phrases, God gives Jonah his assignment, his marching orders. And the Bible tells us in the very next verse that Jonah did not want to go because it says Jonah ran away from the Lord instead. God says, Jonah, I want you to get up, and here's what I want you to do. I'm putting you to task. I got something for you to accomplish. So I want you to get up and go down to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So I want to unpack that for just a second because in a few phrases, God gives Jonah direction. He tells him, what he wants him to do, where he wants him to do it, and why he wants him to do it. There's a reason to what God is asking him, and he unpacks that in there. So the very first thing he says is, get, get up, and I want you to go. Now you probably have heard, I don't know how much you know, if you're part of our Connected series, this is the chapter in the, or the story that we're studying this week. If you're not in a small group yet, I strongly encourage you to take a chance and join one, because we're having some really neat conversations. And the book tells us, the book uh, written by uh, Ronnie Floyd um, that's called The Wake tells us that Nineveh was a city of about 120,000 people. It's a fairly, fairly big city for their day. And God tells us in that verse that this entire city was 
really wicked. So wicked, in fact, that its wickedness, God explains, has come up to my presence and confronted me. It is in my face. Has someone ever gotten in your face? Yes? No? I was telling first service this morning that uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a banger. That means gangbanger. <clears throat> I'm not. I really am not. I grew up in National City, but I wasn't part of any gangs. Um, I went to the academy, so I was in my little bubble. I grew up fairly safe in my little bubble. Um, but I worked on Highland Boulevard, handing out cakes. Uh, I worked at a bakery. Um, uh, anyway, but, so even though I grew up in, in the city, National City, I was never involved in any kind of stuff, so I don't know much about it. But when I went to, to college, I got hired by a friend, uh, actually a cousin of mine, to work for a summer in Compton, on Compton Boulevard, strategically renamed Marine Boulevard, for the reasons you can imagine. And they have a city, right in, I'm in a church right in the corner of the city. And so I worked there for a summer doing youth ministry, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I ran across some kids, and they were telling me how tough they had it at school and on the streets. You know, the, the kids were at, they're part of the church. <clears throat> and so I was very like, wow, this is so cool. This is so interesting. Um, and then one night, I was there at my own church there in the middle of Compton um, doing socials. And a friend invited me to go visit another church in Corona in um, at the church in Corona, they said, oh, we have better socials. Okay. So I went because I was young and dumb. And I drove all the way from Compton to Corona. It was about an hour's drive. By the time I got there, the car was overheating. And I got to the parking lot of the church. I'm talking fast. I realized that. And the, uh, the church was closed. There was nobody there except me and my overheated car and a couple of friends. So there I am pouring some water into the hot engine. I recorded my eye, middle of the night. It's about 8, 8.30. It's dark. Four strapping young men are walking down the street. One rather large one with a tank top, and they see me. And they hop over the fence, and they run up, and the biggest guy gets in my face, and he says, where are you from? Uh, have you ever been asked that question? Usually it's like, you know, I've been asked that question a lot when I'm at, like, pastor's conferences. Oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Benita, you know. Um, I know how to answer those questions, right? Where are you from? But uh, like I said, I grew up in Nashville, but I know anything about gangs. And this guy asked me, where are you from? And I didn't know what the right answer was, so I answered the only way I knew how. I'm from San Diego. And he popped me in the eye, and then his friends jumped me. Because apparently, when somebody confronts you, you cannot answer back unless you're willing to throw down, right? Did you know that? I didn't know that. So I was like, where are you from? And I was like... San Diego, and I got it in the eye, along with a lot of bad words, and they chased me around. They confronted me because that's what confronting is. It's getting into the face of somebody and saying, me or you, and it's it's about to happen, and we're going to throw down. I look impressive, right? Looks in my hands. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) God says to Jonah, the city of Nineveh is in my face. It is so wicked. There's so much stuff going on there that it's come up into my face. God is saying, I got to do something about that. I just want you to picture that. Knowing fully well that God is a merciful and patient God. By the time the call comes to Jonah, that city God has been patient with for a long time. But it's gotten so bad that God explains to Jonah, I need to respond to this because the city of Nineveh is in my face. And it's challenging 
the very essence of me. That's how bad it was. Are you getting the picture? And God says to Jonah, and I need to respond. So I'm sending you. Get up. I want you to go, and I want you to preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up. It's in my face. I want you to preach against it. Now, let's say you were Jonah. Would you take the job? Would you say, okay, sure, I'll go down there. Now, Nineveh is, is famous in their day because everybody knows how wicked it is. It was so it was lawless. Uh, the stuff is so bad over there. There's no respect. There's no rule. There's no order. And Jonah, the Bible tells us, says, I ain't going to go down there. You're crazy. And he, he, he runs away. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and instead headed to Tarshish. I don't know much about Tarshish, but it must have been better than Nineveh. What's interesting about Jonah's reaction is he doesn't just say, I'm not going. Jonah actually does get up. He just heads in the opposite direction. He goes, I'm, only, I'm not just going to say no. I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away. The Bible tells us he goes down to Joppa. Just follow along with me. We're in chapter 1. He goes down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he gets on a board and sails for Tarshish to flee from the Lord or to run away from God. Jonah was given a job, but instead of taking the job, he pays to get away from the job. And he tries to run from God. But can, can you flee from God? Is it possible? Can you run away from God? Can you go somewhere? Can anybody tell me where we can go that God cannot find us? Is there somewhere I can go where God is not? Jonah said, Tarshish, God's not going to find me there. So he gets on a boat. You know the story. I'm just going to unpack it for you a little bit. <clears throat> gets on a boat and gets on, this, gets on this ride. And the Lord sent a great wind. This is verse 4. I'm going to read quickly. And a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. It was so, and all the sailors were afraid. When sailors are afraid of the ocean, it's because it's really bad. Because... Um, Sailors, hence the term, you know, are some of the <clears throat> gruffiest people, right? That's why they developed such a wonderful vocabulary, a sailor's vocabulary, because they know how to handle this stuff. You guys ever watch um, the, um, I think it's called The Greatest Catch? Dead, sorry, Deadliest Catch. Anybody? Okay, don't admit it. But um, Deadliest Catch, where these fishermen are fishing like uh, crustaceans in the ocean, and they show the camera, and there's like, water being tossed all over and there's stuff and these guys are like it's another day at the office sailors are tough people and these sailors were tough people and the bible says that when this storm arose the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own god sailors don't cry but they're crying now and they threw their cargo sailors don't throw their stuff away but they threw their cargo into the ocean to lighten up the ship. Jonah was not a sailor. He had gone below deck and he was laying down and was fast asleep. And the captain, verse 6, got, went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God and maybe your God will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to one another, come on, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. The sailors recognized that the storm was not 
the usual stuff. They'd been in storms before. If you're a sailor, you're going to have rough seas. But this was so rough, they're like, this isn't normal. It doesn't come from us. Something's going on. And somebody is responsible. So they drew, cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah is then asked, verse, nine, verse 8, they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? They're like, what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? Have you ever been asked that question? What do you do? So what do you do? I hate being asked that question. Uh, because usually people stop talking to me after I answer so I've tried to come up with creative ways. One day I was at the, um, one day I was at the uh, Supercuts, and uh, the person was talking to me, then cutting my hair. Oh, they're just talking to me about this and that. They're like, oh, by the way, what do you do? And I was like, what do I say? What do I say? Because if I say I'm a pastor, it'll be silence for the next, and I might get a shorter haircut. I don't know. I don't know what kind of experience they've had. So I'm like, ooh. Uh, I, so I used to say I work with kids, and they would go, oh, that's pretty cool. And usually they leave it alone at that, but I don't say that anymore because, well, I don't. Um, so then I said, I work for a church. And that is sometimes safe. Sometimes somebody will say, oh, really, what do you do? And then I answer nothing. I mean, you know, obviously, I do nothing because that's what pastors do. We don't do nothing. <laughs> we, just, we just work for the church. We don't do nothing. Uh, there's no answer to that that will make somebody want to talk to you. There really isn't. It's hard. So we come up with creative ways. What do you do? So there's Jonah. He's a, pe- he's a preacher. He's a prophet. He's a pastor. But he's sleeping on this boat. And they're like, something's happened. It's your fault. What do you do? What do you answer to that? Not my fault. <laughs> but the, the lot fell on him. So we're like, we're, and so Jonah, listen to his response. You've heard it before. I've preached it on before. But he says, I am a Hebrew. I am. A, I like it. Suddenly he's like, this is where I'm from. I say, I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Could you hear him? He's like, I worship the God who made this stuff that we're in. Woo! He got bold all of a sudden. This terrified them. The sailors are like, so you did this to us. (laughs) And they asked them, what have you done? Why did you do this? And the sea was getting, verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they turned to him and they said, okay, you work for the one who does this. We're going to die. What do we do? Look. The question is, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? What should we do? They asked Jonah, okay, you're in charge. You know it's your fault. You're responsible. You work for the man or whoever's doing this. What do we do? Tell us. How do we fix this? We need help. And Jonah's response at that moment could have gone one of two directions. He could have said, well, okay, here's the truth. And by the way, they kind of already knew it. He said, I had a, he could have said, I've had a job. I'm trying to run away. This is why I'm on this ship. Turn the boat around. Let's head back to where I'm supposed to go. And the sea will be calm. But Jonah does not say that. Jonah says, it is my fault. Pick me up, verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. Suddenly he found his prophetic voice. It will become calm. Suddenly he's like, I know, I know what will happen. Pick me up, throw me into the sea. And I know it will become calm. Because I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Take responsibility. And he says, just throw me overboard. Let me die. In verse 13, the Bible tells us that the men would not kill him. Look what they did. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. 
Isn't that really cool? Isn't it interesting that Jonah had been tasked with God to help save the people of Nineveh? But instead, he's running to his own death, and sailors are trying to save his life. Isn't that wild? The preacher and the prophet is running away from God, and the sinners are trying to save his life. But they could not. They could not, the Bible says. The sea grew even wilder and wilder. And then they cried out to the Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable. Have you ever played God to forgive you for something you're about to do? I lived in Victor for a long time, and after church, people would pray, and I know what they'd be praying. Dear God, please forgive us for what we're about to do in Vegas later tonight, because that's where they go. I'm just telling you. Have you ever prayed that God will forgive you for something you're about to do? And they're praying, please, God, we're about to throw him overboard, but don't hold us accountable. Do you see that? Do not hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. Well, they're, they don't know. This man is not innocent. He has said no to God and paid money on it. In fact, Jonah says, I am responsible. It is my fault. So they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And then the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice, and sailors made vows to the living God. That's a fascinating story. And Jonah, the man tasked with dealing with this offensive city who was in the face of God is now drowning in the sea. You know the story. I'm going to skip a few details perhaps. You know the story. You see, the thing is, every time God calls us, this is we're learning in the book Awake, every time God calls us, we have to respond somehow. His call upon us demands a response. And when we don't respond and run away from God or ignore his call, it will bring about circumstances because God wants to do something and he will get our attention one way or another. We pastors don't particularly like this story because people are like, see, God is trying to hurt me. See, that's why I'm in this situation. But the reason the seas and the oceans are crying out, it isn't because God wants to hurt Jonah. It's because God wants to save Nineveh. But he needs to save Jonah's heart first. So you know the story. Jonah is drowning. Let me die. He's a pastor. He's dramatic. <laughs> Throw me overboard. I could just hear the piano in the background it's my fault. Doing a little Jimmy Swagger there. So they throw him on the board and he's dying. He literally is. He's in the middle of this raging storm. He's going to drown. He's not a sailor. He doesn't know how to swim. And you know the story, right? Because you're, you're, you're a Sabbath school teacher. And the Lord provides a great fish to swallow Jonah. Right? Remember the story. Oh, Jonah and the fish. Big, big whale. Big, big fish comes and swallows Jonah. Jonah's trying to die, but he can't even do that right. And the fish swallows him up. And the Bible tells us that God provides the fish. And, and here's the question we're sort of asking ourselves. Why does God go through all this trouble for, for Jonah? Why does he, you know, like, make the whole ocean? And now Jonah, 
dying and God provides, the Bible says that God provides the fish. And now Jonah's in the belly of the fish. In chapter 2, the Bible tells us he and the fish for three days. Anybody like fish in here? We were just up in Newport uh, uh, a couple of days, these last couple of days, and uh, I'm not a big fan of fish. I'll just be honest with you right now. And when you just go outside, it smells like you're in a fish market. You're not in a fish market, but it smells like it, and it is not pleasant for me. Does anybody like the smell? Yes? All right. I got some, some fish people. So for me, being in the belly of the fish is the nastiest place I could ever find myself in. Now, some of you are fishermen, and I give you props. You can handle it. It doesn't bother you. Scales flying everywhere. It's slimy. You can't hold fish. Can't cuddle them. <laughs> to be in the belly of the fish for me would be the most defeating place. But for him, it's not the fish necessarily, is, but it's the fact that the man of God tasked with giving light to the world through his calling is now in a dark, dingy, smelly, hopeless place, the belly of the fish. And can you imagine what he's thinking? What's going through Jonah's mind? I think you don't have to imagine. See, I think you and I, and some of us right now, are in a very dark, smelly, and unhappy place. I think some of us right now feel like we're stuck somewhere and we have no idea how we got here. Like, we, we can sort of see it where we're like, how do I, what do you say when you're in the middle of a fish? How do I end up here? How did I let it get this far? Especially those of us who've been tasked by God to do something good in the world, and suddenly we're in a really dark, depressing, painful place. Well, the thing is, we, we, we can't outrun God. This we're trying to learn. We cannot outrun God. And even there, in the, in the middle of the ocean, in the belly of a fish, God is trying to get Jonah's heart and his attention. Why does Jonah matter so much? That, you know, that's kind of the question I've been asking. If God wanted to do something about Nineveh, why didn't he just do it? He's God, right? If he controls oceans and stuff, why doesn't he use the ocean on Nineveh? Why doesn't God go to Nineveh himself and say, you want some? It's confronting him. Why doesn't God respond with God? Why doesn't he go over there and do lightning and thunder and all the other things at God's disposal? Why is he wasting his time with this guy who runs away from God, who talks a big game, but in the end... We'll do nothing about it. Why is God so concerned with Jonah? Ronnie Flo, the author of the book that we're reading in our small group, says that when God wants to do something for a large group, he always starts with one person, with an individual. God wanted to save Nineveh, and he begins with Jonah. Why is that important to us? Because I know that as you and I look around our world and our life and our systems and the places of employment, we see the problems. We see the challenges. We see things that got to get fixed. And oftentimes we say in our head, somebody should just, God, why don't you take care of this problem, God? Why don't you fix my messed up family? 
God, I work in a terrible place of employment. There's a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of, why don't you come and fix that? I live in a terrible neighborhood, God. There's all kinds of stuff. Why don't you do something about God? I live in a country full of evil, God. Why don't you fix that? Why don't you do something about it? Has it not offended you enough yet? And God says, okay, I will. I'm going to send you. When God wants to do something corporately, he always begins with an individual. Ronnie Floyd says, and that's bothering me right now. Maybe it's bothering you because if God wants to fix your family, he's going to start with you. For every problem that you see right around you, God might be saying, you're my answer to it. Some of you this day are thinking, you need to do something about this church. And God might be saying, I am. It starts with you. I'm sending you. And I'm telling you right now, you don't want that job. And I don't want that job. And I have been running away from that. And you might have been running away from that. Now, possibly, you find yourself, like me, in the middle of an ocean, in the belly of some fish, and you don't like what it feels like and what it smells like. And there's a hopelessness to our situation because instead of doing the impossible task that God has wanted us to do, we're instead running away and find ourselves in these unexplainable circumstances. And we just cannot outrun God, and he's trying to get our attention. And God wants the city of Nineveh, but he wants Jonah's heart's just as much. And God wants to fix this church, but he's after your heart just as much. And God wants to bless your place of employment, but your life matters just as much. And God wants to save your family, but he needs to save you first. So he might send a fish to swallow you up for a while when you're drowning. And in the belly of that fish, Jonah cries out to God and says, give me another chance. Please give me another chance. You know the story. I don't have to tell it to you. God is a God of second chances. Amen? And the fish spits him out. But the beauty about a second chance is that you get to do it the thing you were running away from. We've all been given difficult tasks. We all have been given jobs we don't want to do, especially in the name of Jesus Christ. I gave some people a tough job this morning, and they don't want to do it, right? I know it. But we can't outrun God. And the change he wants to bring about everywhere starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. If you want, Ronnie says, Ronnie Floyd says, if you want spiritual renewal in your church, let God renew you first. So it's a lot easier for Jonah to say, you fix it. I'm going to Tarshish. But that's just not the way God operates. What God does in rescuing Jonah Jonah, is what releases God's blessing upon the city of Nineveh. If you read the rest of the story, it's a short book, you realize what happens in Nineveh. God saves a city of 120,000 people because of this guy. 
this weak, pathetic excuse for a prophet. Because the second chances that God give us don't just put its hopes on what we can accomplish. Second chances that God gives us are so that he can do what he always wanted to do in the first place. And the truth is we might mess it up again the second time. It would not have surprised me in the story if Jonah had gotten on another ship somewhere else because that's what I've been doing. Taking whatever ship I can find away from my rights and responsibilities as a child of God. And you might be doing the same. But I want to tell you that God has a call upon your life even if you're not a prophet, and that God has something he wants to bless through you, and it requires you. And if you're in a deep, dark place today, know that God is a God of second chances. That God wants to put your feet back on ground, solid ground, but still point you in the direction of his calling. So what's he calling you to do? What job has he given you that you don't want to do? But God needs you to do it for him. What have you been tasked with defending in God's honor? What's he calling you to do? What is he wanting to accomplish in your family, in your work, here in our church for his glory? And what are you not going to do about it? It starts with us. It starts with you and it starts with me.